Hello, welcome back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. How's everybody doing? You guys pent up in your houses yet? Getting tired? Uh, <laughs> you know people are, man. People are going stir crazy. They need another podcast to listen to. My wife and I were like kind of, we uncharacteristically fighting all day yesterday because she's been, I've been working. Spoiler alert, like man, it's a long story, but I got selected okay. as critical personnel to continue doing my, doing like our department's work. One of like a handful of people and it's, it's just it's bullshit. Everyone else is getting paid vacation and I'm at work. But, uh, yeah, that's bullshit. so I was working all week and then I, you know, like I wanted to relax this weekend and kind of hang out and like watch movies and stuff. And she's been pent up all week with the kids cause she, her office closed down like most things and yep. <laughs> she wants to be outside, but it was too cold cause we live up in the mountains and it was just like, I'm like, you're, you're terrible to be quarantined with. <laughs> she's like, oh, and then I started no. thinking about it and I'm like, you know what it is? It's like, she's been here all week and she's already tired of it where I'm just like, that's right. Oh, I just kind of want to be inside cause I've been outside all week. I work out in the field, you know, so I had to, dude, we had to be, understand each other for a minute and we're over it now, but it was kind of funny. Dude, that is the classic struggle of someone who, you know, who works long hours or works, you know, far away from their home yeah. like you do. You know, you have a drive to work, so mm-hmm. you feel like you're out a lot and you're yes, far away from your home. And then you have this nice place that you built perfect for your needs. And it's like sometimes you just want to rest there. You just want to yeah. hang out there and rest. But yeah, I know exactly what you're saying, dude. We're... I would say me and my wife, we're a little more irritable. And I think it's just because tensions are high because the kids are here too. Yep. You know, and they're bored and they're eating. And I'm like, stop fucking eating. Stop. <laughs> stop doing it. Just yeah, stop. Yeah, can't you're exactly go to the grocery bored. store and just buy more all the time. Right. And they're just eating because they're bored. You know what right. I mean? And they and they even do that at school. It's like I asked my, especially my my younger two that are in elementary school, like they eat all the time. My son's like, can I get a dollar for snack? I'm like, I already gave you a dollar for snack. Oh, no, that was for ice cream. I'm like, how many times a day do you fucking eat? Like, it's too many times. Eat breakfast, eat lunch, come home, eat dinner. Okay? Like, it's just too much. <laughs> right. It, it is what you said. It's boredom for the most part, Dude, I'm sure. it is. It's boredom. They're just bored and they want to eat. And I tell them, I'm just like, kick them outside. I mean, we're blessed to live in a place where we have plenty of property and stuff for them to go, so... We've just been kicking them outside. And like like you said, it's been cold, but not actually it's been the opposite here. We have a rare cold day today, but it, dude, it was like 80 degrees yesterday. I got oh, sunburned dude, no. yesterday. Where, where, I'm at, where I'm at, it's been like low 40s all day long, pretty much still. So oh, And snow man. on the ground. We got snow the other day too, so we have snow too. Oh, Jesus. Get out of here, snow. <laughs> oh, dude. I'm ready yeah. for spring, bro. I'm ready for yeah, spring. Yeah, no, trust me. We are too. My wife's actually, we're going to be building a greenhouse here in a couple of days. We're, we're gathering materials. Oh, yeah. We got some uh, old scrap wood from a neighbor, and so we just got to get some, like, roofing from the hardware store before they maybe close. Who knows? But uh, Yeah. Yeah. Man, worst case scenario, get some delivered, dude. If it's if it's a small greenhouse, you can probably get, like, sheet metal and stuff delivered. Yeah, it's funny how this, uh, this pandemic is kind of, like, it's we're probably doing things where we feel rushed all of a sudden to get a greenhouse up because it's like who knows how long this could go on we might end up needing right. the food we grow in the greenhouse really egg, eggs for instance we have chickens and we've been getting eggs and it's like impossible to get eggs people are like my buddy yep. texted me yesterday he's like i'll give you 12 nine millimeter rounds for a dozen eggs <laughs> like what the fuck <laughs> I'm like nah, that's not good enough deal dude i'm gonna need like 39 mil rounds for a dozen eggs three to one yeah, there you go. Eggs are, eggs are high already priority. for eggs. Dude, that's right. Yeah. 
My uh my grandparents, they have a shit ton of chickens that's just walking distance from my house and I, I help them take care of them and we actually bought them some more chickens to mm-hmm. kind of help, you know, to help fund our part of the eggs. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we're we're killing it with eggs right now. We're but they sell eggs. So there I see people pulling up and down their driveway constantly buying. Oh, I'm fresh sure they're killing it them. now. Oh, dude, just all the time. And they're giving us two or three dozen a week, so I can't complain as far as eggs. And you know, I got it's the just such a done. good deal. I'm like ready almost to eat. <laughs> everyone should have chickens. If you don't live in an apartment, if you have a house, even if you have a small yard, you can absolutely have chickens. And guys, yeah, chickens are easy. Chickens and are they easy. they solve multiple problems. Like if you have scraps from leftover crap from dinner or whatever it is, instead yep. of throwing it away or giving, like you just go out there and throw it in their thing. They eat that. Like you don't even They'll have to buy anything. them much food after a while. You can just give them all your scraps. Yep, that's right. And a lot of people are like, oh, you got to protect the chickens. You got to do like chickens are more savages than you think. There's oh, very sure. few things you have to protect chickens from, maybe like hawks, uh, foxes, but like snakes, chickens will fucking eat a snake alive. Oh, yeah. Unreal. Scorpions, like, they eat scorpions. If you have a scorpion problem scorpions? at your house, get a yep. bunch of chickens and let, and let them run around the perimeter they'll, of the property and they'll eat them. Dude, they'll peck the shit out of them. I saw one had had one in its mouth and it was running from the my other chickens when I lived in Nevada. It was running <laughs> from them cuz it was such a fine commodity. They all wanted to eat the scorpion. Oh yeah. Yeah, dude. They're they're savages. Yep. Savages. Speaking of savages, how about Lizzie Halliday, huh? <laughs> you want to talk about her today or what? <laughs> we going to talk about Lizzie Halliday. Uh Hell yeah. At one are. point in time, she was known as the worst woman on earth. You know. That's right. Dubbed that by the New York Times. So That's right. If that doesn't intrigue you and pique your interest to hear this case, this this one was kind of one that I stumbled on. I've never heard of her. I hadn't heard of her. And then I don't know how I found her. You know, there's a book that we'll talk about. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. she's she's pretty interesting. Pretty savage, for sure. That's a good word for her. Absolute savage. And I have, a, I have a, a character in a movie that she reminds me of a lot that popped in my head that we'll talk about. So... Let's hear the okay. intro and dive into it. Keep you guys right, entertained during your quarantine, your quarantainment. <laughs> quarantainment. <laughs> Entertainment for your quarantainment. Yeah, man. Cue it up. All right. Let's do it. Did you or did you not kill those people? It was me, I was crazy, I was drugged Don't tell me no lie, did you kill those people? She said, what shall I say, dear? Then she smiled and shrugged Are you guilty? Are you innocent? Are you sane or are you crazy? Tell me now may be able to help you But it's drawn mighty close to the midnight hour Explain yourself to me You have no reason, no rhyme My head is bad now. I'll tell you some other time. 
I'll tell you some other time Some other time Tell you some other time My head feels bad Tell you some other time all right, our case this week is Lizzie Halliday, who was a uh, serial killer from the 1800s. She was once dubbed by the New York Times as the worst woman on earth. Um, and even at one point, much of the country believed, at least for a short time, that she was the notorious murderer known as Jack the Ripper, responsible for the Whitechapel murders in London. So people started connecting dots because she disappeared for a few years. Right. You know, in the middle of a kind of a killing spree, crime spree. And uh, that was coincidentally right at the same time. The only problem I have with that theory is what's the motive? You know what I mean? What's the motive for it's? I feel like everyone else she killed was, you know, for a reason, for money or for property or for something to prove a point. <laughs> but I've, I have, I, I pretty much have every problem with it. I don't, I don't. Yeah, I don't I believe this at all, like a, right? No, no, not at all. I think it was, it was bullshit. But we'll get yeah. into the details of that. But it would just been way too hard for her to go over there. And why would she do it? She was in America, and like it, how she got here was already tough. And she, it's not like she had any money, you know, like right. getting going from America to London to kill a few people and then coming back to America again for for what? I don't know. She could have just, just done. Yeah. She was already killing people in America. So uh, yeah, what most likely happened was she went under another alias and moved to another town, and probably yeah. did some other horrible shit there. That oh, for sure. We never found out about, and then she came back. That's probably mm-hmm. what really happened. Yep. Because horrible shit followed her. That is one thing we know for a fact. Yeah, and I mentioned she reminded me of a movie character. It was Daisy Domergue from uh, The Hateful Eight, the crazy red-haired woman that Kurt Russell was transporting who had murdered people and was just insane. That's that's a pretty right. good comparison for Lizzie Holiday. I think and yeah. they could have they could have even loosely based uh, Daisy Domergue's character off of Lizzie because it was kind of the same time, time period too, you know, the 1800s. So, yeah, a little firecracker, man. You just didn't know oh, what sure. she was capable of. Yeah, she was yeah. A, a known as a powerful woman. She had a snout for a nose, which people remarked at. Uh, she had a very interesting facial structure, like a, a kind of a pig-looking nose. Um, oh, so it just kind of up tilted a little bit, maybe. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't take uh, much she, for people to have that pig-looking nose if your nose is not like level coming off. If it just comes right. up just a tiny bit, it's you like you can see oh. the nostrils from from a front profile. <laughs> from a front profile, right? <laughs> they said her complexion was very clear, though. Everyone said that. She yeah, had very, very good she had skin great skin for the 1800s, which is amazing. You know, she wasn't doing yeah. any masks or anything like that. So, yeah. So there you go. People. No, you don't need all that shit. Uh, she also uh, there's m- multiple reasons why I wanted to do this. Another reason is because she has a connection to a case that we did that a lot of people loved. Nellie Bly. Nellie Bly appears in this oh, story yeah. as well. So yes, and I'm awesome if you haven't reporter. heard that story, maybe stop this. If you haven't heard our Nellie Bly episode, go back, listen to that one, and then listen to this one. It might make this better. Most of you, I'm assuming, have already heard that one. So. Right, right. They tie in, very and it's nicely. also. It's also convenient timing to do this case because she's uh, she was Irish and red-haired, and it was just St. Patty's Day this past weekend. So it kind of passed by. I think everybody uh, hardly even realized it was St. Patty's Day just because of everything else that's going on. Unfortunately, yeah. it's one of my favorite holidays too. We usually cook, uh, we usually cook uh, cabbage and corn beef, uh, corn and, cabbage, beef bro. and listen that's to what I listen had. to Irish music. Yeah. That's what I had: corn beef and cabbage. Yeah. Hell yeah! Awesome. 
Hey, man, I'm a quarter Irish, bro. I got it going on over here. No, I'm kind of bummed that we didn't celebrate it this year because usually we do kind of, you know, we have some green beers and yeah. eat some cabbage and corned beef and listen. I love Irish music. You know, I don't, yeah, don't listen to it very often. It's not something you just break out like as you're driving to work or something. But Right, right, right. <laughs> when you're hanging out with friends and drinking, it's fun to listen to that. So, Man, we should have FaceTimed. We could have had, we could have had our, our St. Paddy's Day celebration together. <laughs> yeah, and I, but I couldn't have eaten your corned beef through the phone, unfortunately. I would have just been jealous. Right. Oh, I thought you said you had some, too. No, I, I say we usually do. Oh, this year, it just do. kind of skipped right by. Mm. We didn't realize it. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You would have been so the book we used. <laughs> yeah. The book we used for this case was uh, Murderer's Gulch, Carnage in the Catskills by C.J. March. Very dry, just a um, detailed account of the story. Uh, you said you fell asleep the first time listening listen, to it. Yeah. I mean, detailed for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I think it has a little bit to do with the narrator as well. Not my favorite narrator. Um, very dry. I don't like when the narrator never changes tones. Even when right. you're saying things like, she stabbed her 200 times with scissors. It's like, okay, can I get a little bit of emphasis here? Can I get a little bit of something? Yeah, some passion. Some passion, something to to set this scene apart. I mean, this sounds like the same thing as her being wheeled into the asylum. Like, I want to I wanna have some kind of differentiation between these big events yeah. And that was really, I think that's really what made the book seem so dry because it's chock full of information. It's the most detailed account of of, li- of oh, yeah. Lizzie no, uh, Holiday that I could find. You know yeah, I mean? I mean, if you just go to Wikipedia, you're not going to get a tenth of the information that we have in this crime line because I I used that book as a resource as a source, and I right. basically one of those is one of those books where it's an hour and a half in audio form. It's on Audible, but literally I had to. St- I had, it was one of those where I had to pause it every minute. Or every thirty seconds to type out because there's just it's, it's just that hour and a half is all important information about Absolutely. this case. So, yeah, and there's not much else out there as far as articles because it is such an old case. So, yeah, right. I mean C.J. March, I, I don't know what he you know he he really dove deep into all kinds of different stuff to get this. Some of a lot actually a lot of the information that we got is is thanks to Nellie Bly who actually got uh, Daisy. Or, uh, not Daisy, actually Lizzie. got, uh, see, that's how similar they are. That's actually got Lizzie to open up uh, in the asylum uh, a little bit because Lizzie was uh, not easy to get talking. Reporters tried and tried, and she, uh, yeah, she wasn't talking. Well, it was part of her thing. I mean, if you're going to claim insanity, you got to stay insanity in front of all the cameras, all of the reporters, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Not cameras, rather, but all yeah. the reporters. <clears throat> so let's let's dive into it from the beginning. She was born Eliza Margaret McNally. In County Antrim, Ireland, Ireland in 1864. Ireland. Like in the uh, motherland. Yeah. <laughs> Get your Irish accents warmed up, people. <laughs> uh, the exact date was not known, unfortunately, so we couldn't do the birthdays. Um, but uh, sometime oh, in 1864 man. in Ireland, she was born approximately 15 years after the Great Potato Famine. So I'm sure that was still residing in everyone. You know, her parents were still feeling the effects of that. Right. Uh, yeah, she that was, probably that came was a from a, a very uh, modest home, a very conservative home oh, as far sure. as you know, money and supplies and things like that. Much, mm. much like you, you meet people who live through the depression here. They have a different mindset. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even though they're comfortable and have plenty of of what they need, they're still very reserved. They're still hesitant. Mm-hmm. It's like they've been scarred by that. And I bet her well, parents were. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, on a small scale, we've seen how fast infrastructure can fall apart recently how quickly it can become kind of difficult to get food for your family. You know, we're so used to just right. going to the grocery store. What if the grocery store doesn't have the food anymore, though? What the fuck do you do then? That's right. You know, 
That's or right. what if you have no money because the economy felt like you said with the Great Depression failed you yeah. so bad that you have you know you standing in lines for a piece of bread that stuff like we have all this infrastructure that makes us feel so safe but it can f- collapse in a second. That's right. You know, and that's that's I think people that live through that kind of stuff they always have that in the back of their head like this could happen tomorrow again so you can never feel completely comfortable. That's, that's right. Why some of your great grandparents were you know keeping. They were very uh, conservative about food. They didn't want to waste anything. You know, I mean, like they get kind of disgusted by seeing people throw away stuff that's still good, that type of thing. Right. And I also understand people who are older and they're they're hoarders. Like we, we I think we say that a lot. I think almost everybody that I talk to has older yeah. people, older generations in their family. And you're just like, they got so much shit. They just got buildings mm-hmm. and buildings full of shit. But the more shit you have, the more, you know numerical value that is the more money value that is and also you never know when you might need something you know what i'm saying and if you have it all there it's like yeah it's taking up a lot of space but at the same time it's there it's in your possession if everything falls out you know what i mean like i see the draw to both sides like i'm the type of person that's like oh i haven't used that in three months get it get it the fuck out of here you know it's just like i don't (laughs) i don't need that anymore but but i haven't lived through a depression you know what i mean so i i understand when people are coming from that point of view, I understand that. Yeah, that 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 Great Potato Famine was brutal. Uh, it it like took out like twenty percent of the population. It killed like a million people. That basically all the food that they had was mostly potatoes. They didn't have a lot of other food options, and they they got rot in the potatoes, some kind of disease, to where right. the potatoes became unedible. Yeah, it was, it was brutal. Look into it. Do you um, think uh, may, that may have played a little bit of effect on Lizzie as? as far as her growing up and being like, I need to take what I can get when I can get it. Perhaps. You know I mean? Maybe because that was something that was kind of, life. yeah, maybe that was sewed into her. I know like we've talked about it before, but uh, I have, I know people who were really poor growing up and their, their parents didn't really let them get anything. You know, every birthday they wanted this thing and they, they never got it, you know, that type of thing. And they're the people I know that are the, the most, uh, they, they buy everything now. They, they stimulate the yeah. shit out of the economy. My yeah. buddy, uh, that, yeah, that we worked with for a while. He's like got sixty thousand dollar truck that's lifted with all the. Big, he, he buys everything. All he's got all the toys in his garage and everything. And yep. if you ask him, it's just like I was poor growing up. I never got what I wanted. So now that I make money, I mean, he works his ass off. Don't get me wrong. He makes a lot of money. Oh, yeah, so does, does his wife, and his wife's the same way. She grew up poor, and they both just like they spoil the shit out of their kids. They they race their kids in off road races and stuff, and like they, the kids have the best. Uh, the best side by side available with all the upgrades and all that stuff. So, yeah, there there might be a little part of that with her where she didn't. She went without, and now she just fuck it. I'm gonna take what I want. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, <clears throat> uh, she was uh, she was her family moved to the United States with her parents three years later after being when she was three years old in 1867 on what was called a coffin ship. This was pretty interesting. Coffin ships were overloaded ships in poor condition commonly used during the time. They uh, were deliberately overinsured, which made them more valuable if they sank than if they stayed afloat. Uh, these these ships had a 30% mortality rate and were known to be followed by sharks due to the amount of bodies that were thrown over, overboard. So <laughs> that's insane, dude. And it's in like, these trips, uh, these trips on these coffin ships took anywhere from 40 days to three months. So just a hellish trip. From Ireland oh. to the United States for just depending her and her on family. the weather, probably or whatever. Yeah, what kind of diseases hit you while you're out on the sea? Oh my god! Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's brutal trip right there. Yeah, you thought uh, 
Jose Vagoa's trip from Cuba to America was bad. That was only like 90 miles. This is 40-day trip minimum uh, oh. with bodies being tossed overboard all the time and sharks following it, Dude, <laughs> hoping it doesn't fucking sink. Right. And see, that even – I feel like that is another check in her in her column for, for kind of being raised this way. Like death and human life. I mean, yeah. look how much death she saw. I mean, she yep. literally saw bodies being thrown overboard to sharks yeah. while coming to me. I mean, death was just a normal part of her life. I definitely thought about that. You have just a, a you, you look at life as a lot less valuable when you see people dying around you. You've seen disease, you've seen, yeah, you've seen the worst. Right. Of the and worst. you We've also, never, I was going to say, you how also many see of us, people keep going. The life keeps going. You notice that afterwards. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. She just keeps yeah, trying. Yeah. Your life goes on. Yep. Mm-hmm. There. Yeah. <clears throat> Not much is known of her early years in America, but they must have been incredibly hard, as we kind of discussed. She was a young, poor girl from Ireland growing up in a tumultuous time in America. Early America was, you know, America was still kind of figuring things out, too. And I think this is, I mean, she was in the New York area growing up, and I don't know how close to the Five Points area, but we talked about, you know, the 1800s in New York and how crazy that violent that was, too, and death all around. And And very competitive. You know, everybody's still divided. You know, she probably lived in a just Irish community. You know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? And then there was an Italian community and and this and that. But, yeah, I'm sure it was very cutthroat in those early days. Even when she came to America, it's it's just still, it's still no relief. You know, it's not like she came to America and boom, happy life. You know? Right. And also being a girl, a young girl during that time, like you're not given any opportunities either, you know? Right. That's right. It was still, it's still definitely a man's world during that time. Right. Um, She would uh, end up marrying at the age of 15. She would marry an older man named Charles Hopkins. He was also known as Ketspool Brown. Uh, He was most well known for abandoning, uh, abandoning during the world. He, or during the war, he deserted uh, Mm, the the war. So, (laughs) yeah. Not cool, Ketspool. Yeah. Probably why he changed his name. Yeah. Uh, he ended up dying two years after they were married. It's unknown the exact... She says that it was typhoid fever, but knowing what she does later, this could have very well been her first victim. Right. Um, but typhoid fever is also quite possible, considering the time. You know, sickness was... Uh, well, it was a problem back then. People died all the time of different different illnesses. The mo- medicine had not progressed to the point where we're at now. So, right. And this is not too much of a spoiler, but Lizzie had kind of a um, attraction to military and veterans because anyone with a pension because they had a pension, right? <laughs> so she yeah. may have been uh, with Mister Ketspool Brown here because thinking that when he gets out, he's going to have a pension. And then he, when he deserted, she was like, mm. uh, sorry, I don't, have any, uh, I don't have any use for you anymore. You know what I'm saying? Because, right. you know, you don't get your, I mean, it's not like an honorable discharge. So you're not getting, he's not getting anything. He didn't get shit. You know, right. He probably deserted. So he's like, now we can be together. And she's like, ooh, sorry, that was the only thing keeping us together. <laughs> Awkward. Yeah, I really liked that check you had coming in. Yeah. Don't like, you, mm. don't like your face too much, you old no. bastard. God. <laughs> Get away from me, you old fucker. Right. But I give you a dose of the typhoid fever. <laughs> uh, um, so she would, uh, she would, he would die, and she would end up moving into a small apartment above a blacksmith and took up work as a washer. Um, soon she married again. This is a common theme. She would find older men that had pension checks, marry them, mm-hmm. and then they would a lot of times die quickly after that. That's right. Um, th- this time she married a man named Artemis Brewer, 
described by the New York Times as a veteran and pensioner. Um, He died after less than a year of marriage, not before enduring beatings and hair pullings from Lizzie, who called him a, quote, a bad old man. (laughs) I don't know. Um, Maybe you like that. That doesn't really sound like awful. (laughs) <laughs> some, some old guys are into that, you know, step I mean, on their balls with know. high heels Bad on and all man. There's a lot, a lot worse things you could be called. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound mildly uh, entertaining and yeah. even Beauty. sexual. Hairpully. Bad old man. Especially with an Irish accent. He's a bad old man. Do it, do it in an Irish accent, Michael. He's a bad old man. <laughs> <laughs> that makes it even better. <laughs> you dirty old man. You dirty old man, you. Come here. <laughs> <laughs> Take your beatings like a bad old man, yar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure he liked it. I think I'd even like this. It sounds it sounds good. Right. Um, another quote from the New York Times said, "Whether these men died natural deaths or were murdered is not known." So <laughs> it's known now, brother. Yeah. <laughs> um, her next relationship was Hiram Parkinson, who had a long white beard and mustache and uh, allegedly deserted her within a year. She claimed that she found out he was already married and kicked him out, um, but then common theory is that he actually deserted her, which, good call, brother, because... Yeah. She probably tried to kill him. in the ground if you're around her too long. Yeah, she probably tried to kill him, or he was onto her, or was mm-hmm. like, maybe the beatings were getting worse or whatever, and he was like, you know what? I think I'm going to go ahead and dip out. Yeah. He's the only one that escaped, wasn't he? No, a couple of people got out. She tried oh, to poison another one, and he escaped. Oh, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. The guy that yeah. survived the poison, yeah. That's actually the next one. Uh, she married. She then next married George Smith, a veteran and comrade of, of uh, her second husband. So this guy knew her second husband, um, wow, Brewer. What a dumbass. Uh, this is a quote from her. I think that Nellie Bly acquired this, this quote from her later. Uh, quote, he was an old soldier and drew a pension, so I married him. Well, there you go. There you, go. Oh, there that's, you go. That's all. That's all required. You know, to show her that pension check what and else she'll do you need get hitched. Lottie? <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, within a few months of marriage, she tried to kill Smith by giving him a cup of poison tea, failing to accomplish the murder. So supposedly he was like writhing on the floor in pain, and she was laughing at him. But he, the laugh was, uh, he got the last laugh because he actually survived. And uh, failing to accomplish the murder, she fled to Bellows Falls, Vermont, taking with her every portable item in the house. So she took all of his stuff and, and fled to Vermont. Wow. Um, Just left him there well, to die. Yeah. Now, was While it clear Vermont, that she knew that he lived through it? D- d- I didn't. Uh, I, I think so. I think that's why she fled. I think that's why okay. she fled. So she realized that he lived and that he was probably telling authorities or spreading the word. And then so she dipped right. out. Okay. Mm-hmm. While in Vermont, Lizzie married Charles Playstell and lived with him for about two weeks before disappearing. This is the one husband she actually she only she ever said anything fond about, and he was the youngest husband. Coincidentally, mm. he wasn't an old an old pensioner. Right. Um, Charles was by far the youngest of Lizzie's husbands, and o- the only one she spoke or even remotely fond of. Quote: uh, This is another quote from her. He was a lovely husband. He always gave me all of his all of his money to me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what, uh, it's just what you want in a woman, you know? Yeah. Oh, my she God. Claims, she claims that she left him after he admitted to, quote, pounding his fist or pounding his first wife to death. So he had beaten his first wife to death and he had told her this, and that's, uh, she decided to get the hell out of there. Wow. She should have just told him her past and they would have been the perfect couple and they could have lived right? together and just dealt with their shit. You know what, laddie? We have a lot in common. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm a poisoner myself. <laughs> I too have many uh, notches on my belt of former husbands that are now on the ground. Oh my gosh. Well, um, what a couple. Yeah. Lizzie then disappeared for a couple of years around this time. And this is the this is where the legend came to be that she might have been Jack the Ripper because coincidentally at this time, for the few years that she disappeared around 1888, was the same time that women in Whitechapel, London were brutally slain leaving mm-hmm. people to later speculate that Lizzie was indeed Jack the Ripper. However, we think that's a load of horse shit. It's just she just happened to be off in a, using a different alias in America and doing who knows what. But right, uh, it's just such a stretch. You know, It doesn't even really fit her MO. Like the people she killed, she killed for more, more for utility and, to, and just to, rot, to rip them and off for money, or whatever. Right? But, here, yeah. but, but check this out. Just something that just occurred to me. If she was able to make it to London somehow, right? Mm-hmm. She would probably have to live and survive in the London underworld because she wouldn't know yep. anyone. She would probably, I mean, basically be on the street. She might have and been a victim of Jack the Ripper if she was over there. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm saying that when you're on the street and then you see these these prostitutes or these uh, sex workers, rather, I guess what we're calling them now, uh, they are getting money, right? They're walking yeah. around with money and they're basically unarmed. Yeah, they're unprotected, especially from women. Like, even if they did have protection on the street, they're probably not. Look, they're not eyeballing suspicious women. You know what I'm saying? Like, maybe right. it was. I mean, who knows? I'm just saying. I'm just totally off the wall so theory. You, but it kind of makes sense that she would be in that area, in that society. So you're playing devil's part. advocate, saying right. that it, it, there is some motive there. Like she, if she, you know, she could have been killing them for. For the money, but my point is the way that they were killed, you know, with the grand display, you know, blood on the walls and all that stuff was done more for dramatic effect, which wasn't really her MO. She killed, like we said, for utility and she wasn't trying to have the bodies found necessarily. Very true. If they were found, they were found, but, you know, so I I don't know. No, I don't believe it. I'm just, that's the only, yeah, it's the only thing I could think of. Yeah. So in the winter of uh, 1888, Lizzie would resurface in Philadelphia. Uh, she turned up at a saloon that was run by the McQuillans, who were actually friends, uh, family friends, neighbors of hers back in Ireland. Um, at this time, she was going by the name Maggie Hopkins, and uh, she would arrange to stay with the McQuillan family, um, who had, as we mentioned, been the McNally's neighbors in Ireland. Um, she would end up opening a small shop for a, for a short amount of time there in Philadelphia, and uh, just long enough to basically get insurance on the building and then burn it down for the insurance money, which is another thing she was known for. Uh, oh, arson yeah. by, by basically with the, the means of getting paid out by insurance companies. She loved to do that. Right. She loved apparently, the free payday, you know? Apparently very easy to do in that time. Oh, yeah. Oh, back then, the, inve- the insurance investigations, I'm sure, were a joke. You know, like they couldn't go around and just... They weren't, I'm sure they weren't very good at discovering the source of what started the fire like they are now. They can figure out whether it was electrical, whether there was an accelerant in there, oh, that yeah. type of thing. They, they just go, oh, yeah, bits and ashes. All right, here's your check. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, well, why would anyone no, want to destroy their own business? Here you go. Right. <laughs> here's this large check for you. Yeah, she she loved the free payday, you know, whether it was a, a an old pensioner that she could marry and kill and then mm-hmm. get paid out or whether it was, a, you know, an insurance check on a burnt building. That's right. She would do this time and time again. Uh, she's kind of like a female Pans Ram a little bit too, just kind of going around from place to place wreaking havoc. Yeah, she is. Burning she is shit little, down, killing yeah. people. A little less uh, bold. She was a little more behind the scenes than Pans Ram. Pans yeah, Ram a little sneakier about did it. did not give a fuck. 
Right. Yeah. yeah. Panzer would do it right in front of the police he would care, and then he'd probably hold them down too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh, Lizzie uh, was actually ended up being arrested for that arson though on the on her business and insurance fraud. So I, I think maybe that was probably due to witnesses. Maybe not so much they figured out that how the building was burnt down, but some people probably she maybe she went around talking who knows but she would end up serve because that's like the only one she ever got busted right. for as far as well, insurance fraud you know what really boggles me about this moment in time is that she's in philadelphia right and she's with people mm-hmm. who know her not only know her but know her family yeah and then she's trying to go by an alias and then she's trying to start a business yeah. i guess with that <laughs> alias right across the street from people yeah and who then she know burns her. it down right it's just it, it just wasn't a very smart move. I think you should have went far away from anyone who knew you, because yeah. was was she using this alias? Obviously, she couldn't use this alias with the McQuillan family. So there there had to have been a lot of, oops, didn't mean to call you Lizzie there, you know, right. or or whatever. I mean, I don't know. They just, I feel like she was bound to get caught here. There was just too many loose ends. Yeah, probably all the insurance company had to do was go asking around, and then they're like, "Oh, you mean Lizzie? Oh, you mean? Oh, sorry. Uh, you oh, mean uh, I mean, Maggie, <laughs> what's what's she going by again? What is she? Like, what, what is it? How many names does the, this woman have? Right. What's the name on the building, Lise? I'm sorry. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she would end up serving two years in the Eastern Penitentiary in Philadelphia, and at some point after her release, she turned up in Newburgh, New York, where she met Paul Halliday, a 70 year old widower living in his Burlingham, uh, living in Burlingham with his sons on a farm. Um, although only one son still lived on the farm with him who had, uh, some issues by, by accounts of the brothers and the family. Um, he was known to be, uh, slow. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So the, the son that was still living on the farm, his name was, she John, went to work, I believe John Halliday, John. Yeah. We'll talk a little bit more about John. So she meets this Paul Halliday. Um, she begins working for him as a housekeeper and eventually he married her. Um, it was one step away and marriage was just like thrown around like crazy if you can't tell during this time it was just like you know you're kind of an all right fellow let's get married let's get hitched yeah yeah why not it's like you meet someone within a few days you're like you know i can stand your presence a little bit let's get married or i like your pension whatever it is right well i'm sure divorces weren't as expensive as they are now yeah and And life was life was just more it 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 was it was wasn't taken for granted like it is now like you're not expected to live a long time you're like you never who knows what's going to happen next week i might get typhoid fever let's get hitched Let's get hitched. <laughs> let's, let's start a family. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, so she goes to work for, for this, this Paul Halliday. Uh, that's how she gets the Halliday last name, if you can't tell. Right. Um, and uh, she marries him. And though the neighbors later said the marriage was just uh, his way of avoiding to have to pay her. So, it, you know, she's marrying him because he's an old rich, you know, not, an old guy with some money. Oh, he gonna and pay he's her. marrying her. <laughs> he's marrying her because he's a cheap bastard that doesn't want to pay for his housekeeping. Right, right. So. Kind of funny. That is uh, funny. The mar- their marriage was marred by what Paul described as Lizzie's sporadic spells of insanity. Um, the son that still remained, uh, John, as we had mentioned, was described as crippled and half-witted by his brothers, and Lizzie wanted him gone from the start. Um, she wanted basically him and Paul, to, or her and Paul, to be on this farm, probably so she could get away with whatever she's going to do to Paul at some point without a witness. Right. Um. Paul and Lizzie had been married for less than a year when Paul returned home one day to find that the family cabin had been burnt to the ground. He's uh, then freaking out. You know, their their family home on the farm is burnt to the burnt to ashes, and he's running around the farm looking for his family. You know, his wife and his son. Um, he searched the farm for his wife and son and found Lizzie sitting placidly in the barn as if nothing was wrong. Um, 
when he asked her, when he asked her where John was, she simply grinned and pointed at the pile of ashes where the cabin used to stand. That's so, dark. Yeah. <clears throat> but neighbors he kept her around. I mean, yeah, on, you know Paul. what? Come on, Paul. <laughs> Paul, Paul really. It's your own fucking fault, Paul. I don't know what it was that he saw in Lizzie, man, because he he kept just just seeing the only good in her somehow. No matter what she did, you know, she could like stab him in the gut and he would still bring her back over and over again. It's That's crazy. what makes just me a, think that this is what made me, it basically confirmed to me that Lizzie was not crazy. I don't think she's oh, insane. She was calculated. All. She wasn't crazy. She was calculated. No, she's not crazy. Everything she, she did was calculated. That's she was right. not crazy. If she acted crazy, that was also calculated, you know? Right. She was just willing to do things that we as in a normal society deem as crazy. Just right. because, But just because someone is willing to do those things does not mean they themselves are insane. And I don't right. think she was. She was just bad. <laughs> she was uh, when just it comes, mean. When it comes down to, out of Selfish. how many cases we've done, what like well over 100 at this point, how many uh, cases do, have we covered where you would actually say legitimately this person if you were a juror, would, would let them off on insanity. I would say maybe one or two, like Herbert Mullen. Herbert maybe. Mullen, number one. He comes, comes to mind, mind for sure. Yeah. Like his brain was just gone, warped from drugs and everything right. else. But very few. I think most people, you know, they, they like you said, they do things that most of us are not willing to do. And then we look at them like, how are you not crazy if you did this act? Well, it's like, eh. Um. It's not the same thing. The question the is, are thing. they, are, do they know what they're doing? Do they have any control? Did they know what they were doing was wrong? And 99% of the time, yeah, they did. Yeah. Because if they, if she didn't know, then there would be evidence of it. And yeah. she just hid things too well to not know mm-hmm. that they were wrong. It's just like the, the crimes that Herbert Mullen did, like killing the, killing the priest and like right there in church, like in the middle of the, in the middle of the church. Right. You know, like things like that where he's just like, okay, that, I don't think he, even thought about it. it he just did it and he didn't he care did if he it. if anyone saw him do it you know what i mean that's exactly right and there was nothing to gain from it either it's just no. gone absolutely so um so yeah uh, neighbors said that they had witnessed lizzie sitting on a stump and watching the cabin burn they suspected that lizzie had locked up john in his room and torched the house with him inside um paul's other boys had been warning their father uh, about Lizzie this whole time, and they believed that uh, Lizzie had murdered John first with an axe and then set the fire to cover it up. Uh, Lizzie was initially arrested but set free due to lack of evidence uh, to prove that she had murdered John or started the fire. You know, um, I think I tend to think that the boys are right. I do think that she murdered him and then just left his body in the house and burnt the whole thing down. I think yeah. that was just the easiest thing because it's two birds, one stone, right? You get insurance for the house as well. You might as well yep. leave the body in there. And I think that because... John was 35 years old. Okay, I don't know if we mentioned that or not, but I do remember that from the book. At this time, he was mm-hmm. 35 years old. He's just a little younger than Lizzie. Mm-hmm. And he must have been coherent and sane enough to cause her problems that she wanted him gone. Because if he's just like a kid, why wouldn't you just send him off or give him chores to do or, or this or that? He's obviously mm-hmm. a little more coherent and probably a little more on to her than what we knew. Does right. that make sense? Yeah, I and also in, in order to get rid of him in this in this type of way in this definite way with nothing to real really gain other than the insurance from the house which you could have burned down without him in there. So yeah, that's why I think. But it was at the more same time, at, at the same time though, I think she's so callous and like so careless when it comes to life, and like has gives so little value to life other than her own that I think even the slightest nuisance in her life, you know, she went from town to town doing whatever the fuck she wanted all the time. Right. And even the slightest kind of like annoyance 
which is what maybe John was, is just uh-huh. like, I'd rather just kill him and not have to even like look at him anymore. I almost feel like she was that cold. So oh, it could have been yeah. like what you said, like maybe he was onto her, or maybe she was just like, this fucker's annoying me. I'm, I'm going to off him. You know, it could have been that simple. Right. Yeah, it very well could have been. Yeah, she was that evil in a sense. Oh, no doubt. Um, so Paul, however, he still could only see good in her and believed her, and he began to rebuild the cabin. And it only took took two weeks for Lizzie to strike again. She then would then burn down the barn. This time she admitted to starting the fire to Paul and said that she did it because she wanted a new one. Um, and insurance, believe it or not, would be paid down on both the cabin and the barn, even though both were burned down within two weeks. You'd think I that mean, just the pure coincidence of that God, for the that insurance company would be like, eh. of insurance. If it's that easy to commit insurance fraud it's like you almost can't blame her at that point it's just like man they run out of money building the cabin it's like why don't we just burn the barn down we could right. we could add another bedroom onto this cabin get a new barn if i'm the insurance company i'd be like even if you didn't uh start these intentionally if you're that like if you're that care like careless when it comes to like danger with fire that you both of your fucking main structures on your property were burnt down within two weeks like you, you you're just too dumb. Like, I'm not paying you. I just thought of that. Like, how, how could two things burn down within two weeks? Can you imagine what Paul's insurance was on those things afterwards? Whew. Oh, God. The premiums. Oh, my God. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, around this time, Lizzie finally admitted to Paul that she had been married before. Um, he, had, he was under the impression that she had never been married, uh, maybe even a virgin. Who knows? Um, she told him that she didn't like her first husband, so she killed him by bashing him over the head with a big stone while he slept. So that kind of, if you Paul's believe like, that, That's nice. what Good she night, told honey. him, that clears up, <laughs> that clears things up as far as the first husband. Remember how we were saying? Because she was only 15 when she had that first husband, and we were like, the one that died from typhoid fever. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to tend to believe her because she, she, you know, she proves that she's capable of doing these type of things. Oh, Absolutely. Um, Paul still didn't attempt to evict or divorce Lizzie, but he began to take precautions. He started to maintain a journal, a journal that he had called Lizzie's Crimes, and he wrote down you know, the, the fires with the barns, his son being inside one of them, and mm-hmm. just kind of random different stuff that he had seen her do. That's where we, the book that we read, I'm sure, got some information too, was right. from uh, old Paul's little uh, journal there. Dude, maybe he was just straight up afraid of Lizzie, you know? He was like, what can I do with her? If I kick her out, she'll come back and kill me. You right. know what I mean? If I divorce her, she'll take half of everything and then kill me. Like, yep, what, what do you... in a tough spot. There's nothing you can do. It's, I don't think it's any type of infatuation. I think it's just fear. And fear. I think this part of the story confirms that. With him get, borrowing this handgun for his own protection. Yeah, so you he would end saying? up borrowing a handgun from a neighbor right? Uh, f- for protection and... Uh, Maybe not the best idea, as we'll find out. Um, people in Burlingham would later speculate that Lizzie had to do uh, had to do with mystery, mysterious disappearances during the time in the Burlingham area. Um, she's living at the, at Paul's farm in Burlingham, and some pe- some some murders happened that were unsolved. That they were kind of like pointing, you know, it could have been her. A fourteen year old boy had gone missing, and in the summer of eighteen ninety, a body of a man was found at the entrance of an old mine. He had been shot through the head with a large caliber weapon. Um, he was a peddler, and the motive was believed to be robbery. So, this is a well-off peddler that right. was uh, kind of crucial to the economy. You know, a guy going around selling stuff and whatnot. And uh, he'd been shot through the head and uh, ripped off near the farm in, in some mine. And uh, later, we would find out this was, in fact, Lizzie. Right. Um, but what about so. the fourteen-year-old boy? I don't think that was Lizzie. That doesn't seem like her mo. 
I, don't, I wouldn't put it past her. I don't yeah, think Yeah, but what's she, to gain from it, though? That seems like a waste of time if you're Lizzie. It's like, what does this yeah. boy have? Did he have money? Did his parents send him to town with money, maybe? Maybe in that sense, okay. But I don't, I don't see why she would take a 14-year-old boy. I don't, I don't get that. Yeah, who knows? That was never known who took that, who took that boy. Right, it just happened around that time, right? We're, we're yeah. not contributing that to her. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, there was also a gang of local gypsies. Uh, locals had initially assumed that the killing was the work of the gypsies, uh, being the peddler that we talked about. Uh, they also said that Lizzie had been a member of that gypsy group prior and perhaps during the time of her marriage to Paul. So she may have been running off and doing acts with these gypsies and been like, the, even spe- they even speculated she was like the leader of the gang. And when she married Paul, she was kind of like sworn out of the gypsies and like they, they named a new leader type of thing. It seemed far-fetched to me. Like <laughs> Right. It's not like a fairy tale type of thing, but uh, there were definitely gypsies at this time. There were kind of bands of people that were running around living with no homes and just kind of committing crimes and stuff. Well, and she, I mean, there is a lot of her timeline that's a, that's unaccounted for, Lauren, you know? I mean, there's yeah, there's a lot of running no around. Maybe when we thought she went to London, she's out leading a group of gypsies. <laughs> right. And that was another nickname that that for her, I think, was the, wasn't that one of the nicknames she had too? The Gypsy Queen or something like that? Yeah. Yep. That's right. Yeah. Gypsy Queen. So uh, less than a year after burning down the cabin and barn, Lizzie hired a wagon and team of horses, then convinced a local man to hit the road with her, paying one paying him $1 per day to run the team of horses. So she was she was leaving Paul, and she was heading back out on the road again. That's good money. And she had this, this scheme that she was going to do. She was going to act like she was married to this man, and they were going to go from town to town trading the horses for more valuable items until they were rich. But they weren't her horses. <laughs> to sell so she was basically stealing these horses that she was supposed to be just kind of using temporarily right um and the owner of horses was prepared for this i mean he had to know that someone would try this at some point he probably had dealt with this before Mm -hmm. and he was able to track down his horses from the different buyers and eventually even track down lizzie and her accomplice the two were arrested and while arrested lizzie immediately began acting violently she was quickly deemed to be insane which i'm sure was uh uh, intentional on her part to tr- she she was known to do this when she was oh, every locked time up she, she would act caught. crazy as shit that was i think that was her just backdoor response it's like yep. i got nothing else i can do here okay i'm insane yep uh her husband paul would show up and contest that lizzie was totally sane but acting violent in an attempt to escape punishment so here's a, a notch on the other side from your theory of her of him being afraid of her why would he go get her out of jail and say that she's saying to police and everything if, if he was so afraid of her. You'd think he'd leave her locked up and try and figure something out. Right. It's not, but, it's not his fault. She left. You know, it's not his fault she's locked up. So maybe he's, do you think he's afraid that if he doesn't come get her out, when she does get out, she's like, you didn't come get me, you fucker. I'm going to kill you now. Exactly. Because um, horse theft is not enough to keep you in prison very long at all. Right. So she's going to get out. You know what I'm saying? But he yeah. also, but in Paul's defense, he did tell the authorities that she was totally sane and acting violent. Yeah. I mean, they... So he did say that, at least. Right. So, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, that, that would be a point of contention for years to come regarding Lizzie Halliday. Some were on the side of that she was she was insane. Others were uh, in the camp of she's fully aware of what she's doing and she's trying to use the system against itself. Yep. Um, you can tell which side we're on. When Lizzie was brought in front of a judge for the charges of horse thievery, she shrieked and thrashed around, pulling at her own hair, and the judge would end up believing the act and siding with the jailer's assessment that the woman was insane and dropped the charges. Um, She was brought to the Middletown Asylum, however, and then to Matawan Hospital for the Incriminally Insane, which she would become quite 
uh, she would get quite accustomed to the Matawan Hospital because she would end up there again later on in the story. Right. Now, the way that the Nellie Bly episode really helps understand this is during this time, women were called insane for literally nothing. Like if oh, you, yeah. if you, the husband got tired of them, they would take yes, them and just drop. They them off. would take them and drop them off. So, and they didn't understand this. And a lot of it could be misinterpretation of menstrual cycles. Like they even yeah. said that, they even mentioned that in the book. It could just be a misunderstanding of the female anatomy, and they they think that Paul. women were insane all the time. Paul himself. Call her husband. That was like what he always leaned on. It's like, oh, it's just her time of the month type of thing or whatever it was. Right, right. And so women were called insane for anything. So when you see a woman thrashing, pulling her own hair, biting people, it's like, whoa. It's like, no question, obviously insane. Right. You see what I'm saying? So that's why Mm -hmm. I think it was so easy for her to play this game. Like you said earlier, she played the system against itself. She exposed all the weaknesses and played the game she needed to play to do what she needed to do. Yeah. And so she would end up spending two years at Matawan uh, before being released and deemed cured at Paul Holiday's request. So that's another thing is like if you were going to get out of one of these asylums, it's like you had to have a man come in and get you. They you had they had to have somewhere to get like to release you to. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, don't you remember that from the Nelly Bly episode too? It was I like do. the husband would drop him off, and then if the husband came back and said, "All right, I'm ready to take her back," they would just give him back to him. Yep. <laughs> it's like what the fuck is going on? It's here? like you haven't even been around her for the last two months. How do you know she's insane now? It's like yeah, right. she's sane. My dishes yeah. and laundry are really piling up. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it was, right? That's really what it was, yeah. It's Jesus. Bullshit, uh, shortly after bringing Lizzie back home, Paul disappeared. Um, Paul was well-liked in the community and made frequent trips to town. After only a few days, people knew something was wrong. He was kind of the guy that would frequently come to town, and he was involved in the gossip. A lot of the gossip in town came from Paul. Like he, Almost right. like the, the town depended on him because you know, he was... He was keeping them entertained with different stories and whatnot. Also, you got to remember, Paul was over 70 years old when they married. Like, most right. people didn't live past their 50s. So this guy had been yeah. around. Like, he lived through generations, you know, yeah. in this town. I mean, he was a real staple, I'd imagine. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and so people recognized that he was missing right away when they, they didn't see him in town. Um, and the neighbors, that he also was really well-liked by all of his neighbors. Right. Um when Paul's sons came to check check on their father, they found Lizzie cleaning the house and singing. She told them that Paul had gone away for a few days to Burlingham to make payment on a piece of land. Um, the sons pretended to believe her and left, however, only to a neighbor's house, where they uh, returned with the neighbors to question Lizzie further. However, she stuck to her story. Um, they then pretended to leave again, but stayed nearby to keep an eye on the farm. Brilliant move on their part. Yes, because um, that's how they end up catching her in a lie. That Monday, one of the brothers returned to ask about their about his father again. Lizzie, not knowing that they'd been she had been being watched and the farm was being watched by them, said that Paul had returned Sunday and left again that morning for Burlingham. So they immediately knew she was lying because if yep. he had come home, they would have seen him. That's um, right. The the brothers then returned next with a constable from town. This time, during questioning, Lizzie lost her temper, grabbing a club. The men pushed past her and discovered a lit lantern sitting next to a pile of coal-soaked oil rags or coal-oil-soaked uh, rags next to the lantern, leading them to believe that she was about to burn this place down again. Oh, jeez! Um, the one that had been rebuilt already from her right. burning it down. Um, while inspecting the barn, the brothers discovered some freshly disturbed hay and soil. Uh, so I believe at this time the constable took Lizzie to town because she said uh, he's in he's in Burlingham. 
I'll take you and show you. So the constable left with Lizzie to go to town to, to basically find Paul. And at this time, the brothers are still back at the farm. They start looking around, you know, basically assuming that Lizzie had killed their father. So they're trying to find where his body is. And in the barn, they find freshly disturbed hay and soil. The, they were sure this was their father's grave. They started digging, and instead they found the bodies of two women, one, uh, one young, one old. The women's clothing was found in the house. They were bound. They were bound and buried yes. in the barn. By their wrists, um, knees, and ankles. They were tied. Yeah, crazy. It's just such not a typical crime of a woman, you know? Like this, she's, she's different in so many ways. Like The violence that she would do, like just the, the types... Usually, you know, a lot of the ones we do, it's by poisoning or right. less direct ways, but she had no problem with directly executing people, tying them up, whatever it took. Right. Well, it, w- it was said that she was very strong. She was very strong oh, yeah. for her size. Many, most people underestimated her when they came into yeah. contact with her. Most people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the women's clothing was found inside the house. Lizzie was arrested. She then began her insanity act again, saying that she was seeing frogs, lizards, and snakes tearing off her clothing. She ended up being shackled and uh, continued to act insane nonetheless. Uh, Examination of the dead woman's bodies revealed that the younger woman had been shot seven times and the older woman eight, both in the heart. They were executed. That was her MO as far as like style of murder is that she would shoot the person through their heart multiple times. Yeah. This was also later tied to a ritual, wasn't it? Like some sort of gypsy ritual. Um, was it? I thought she was, said she basically just said later, like make sure they're dead. Like there's no denying someone's dead when you shoot them through the heart multiple times. Right, but uh, there was some sort of speculation though that it was um, some sort of ritual where you like you shoot someone in the heart and you make a complete circle. And it, I don't know, I can't, I don't know why they do it, but I, hmm. I read somewhere that it was tied to some sort of gypsy ritual, and it may have been. But I think that's only five shots is what they do, and it could be like five shots, maybe the point of a five star five-pointed star or something. I don't know, Mm. but just wanted to throw that out there. Okay. Uh, The women uh, were Margaret and Sarah McQuillan, Margaret being 50 and uh, Sarah being her daughter at 19 years old. Uh, They were identified as the dead women. They were from Newburgh, a full day's wagon ride from from the Halliday Farm, and the question was kind of from the authority standpoint, like why were they here? How did they get here? How did they end up dead uh, on the uh, Halliday Farm? Charles Grieve, a neighbor of the Halliday Farm, searched the farm late one night. So they, they find these women's bodies. They don't find Paul, and everyone kind of leaves the farm. However, this neighbor, Charles, he's still he's still convinced his buddy Paul is dead, and he's somewhere on the property. He never liked, uh, he never liked um, Lizzie. And he, so he's, and he knows that he's about to leave the farm because he only is uh, at the farm during... Uh, and during summers, he leaves for winter, and he didn't really want to get involved in the whole process if he did find the body of going to court and all that stuff. So one night, like the last night that he was going to be on his farm before he left for winter, he snuck onto the uh, Halliday farm and started looking around. He used a crowbar to gain entry into the home and noticed that a floorboard didn't quite match the rest. It was a little bit uh, – it wasn't as secured to the floor as the rest, right. and apparently the brothers and the authorities had missed it. Um, he pried up that floorboard, and in some soft soil, he found Paul, uh, Paul Holiday's face underneath some disturbed soil in there, and the rest of his body. He'd been battered in the head with something and shot through the heart three times. Um, the gun that was used in all three murders was the one that Paul had borrowed for his own protection from Lizzie, which is just adds some 
uh, it just makes it even worse, really. Yes, the gun that he got to protect himself is what ended up being the murder weapon for all three right. of these. That's the uh, that's a big uh, strike in the gun control case, huh? You know, people always yeah, talk about like it's kind of hard to get shot if there's no gun around. You know, well, but, also when you're a responsible gun owner, keep your gun locked away from anyone like Lizzie, you know, or yeah. kids or anyone that you don't trust. Yeah, yeah. Anyone I mean, other than yourself, really. Right. If you didn't have <laughs> and a uh, murderer in your house living with you, it probably wouldn't be that big of a deal, you know. You could yeah. <laughs> you know, that was a big tra- part of the tragedy of the, the Sandy Hook case, too. You know, the mother, knowing her son had so many mental problems, had the one thing she taught him to do was go shooting and had guns around all over the place, and, and look what he does, you know. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> After that week's discovery, the farm would come to be known as Murderer's Gulch, uh, hence the title of the book that we got, Murderer's Gulch. Lizzie was held in jail for a year waiting trial. She denied the murders and went back to her active insanity yet again. She attempted several times to protest slash commit suicide. She went on uh, such a severe hunger strike at one point that the jail physician had to actually pump food into her stomach for three days straight. Then she used the wood stove in her cell to try. That's how old this case is. Like the cells actually had wood burning stoves in them to keep them warm. So she had like a stove in her fucking cell, uh, which she of course used to try and burn down the jail. Uh, she then got her hands on some broken glass from a window in the jail and attempted to cut her throat before being stopped by a guard. Um, eventually, I don't the think jailer she done it. I think if she wanted to commit suicide, she'd have done it already. You think so? I, I don't think she would have committed suicide. Nah. You think it was just like a more more notch to even adding more clout to her insanity thing? Yep, I think that's all it was. I think and she just knew exactly chaos. how far it would take to kill somebody because she had killed so many people, probably right. people that we don't even know about. And yeah, yeah. I, I think she. There was no intent of killing herself in prison. Yeah, because realistically, if you have a piece of glass, right, and you are intent on doing the job, it doesn't take more than a second or two. Like a jailer could not get to you once he realized what you were doing before the job was. Because if you do it good enough, you're not going to be able to stop the bleeding. You know? Right, and it's silent. Especially back then in a and jail, kind of like it's not like. So yeah. Um, eventually, the jailer had t- gotten tired of keeping such a close eye on her and her chaos that he ended up drilling uh, a loop into the concrete floor and attaching a chain to it to keep her from basically moving more than like a few feet radius uh, within her cell. Uh, The sheriff was named Harrison Beecher, and he was the main reason that the public believed that Lizzie had been Jack the Ripper because he was firmly convinced that she was and told newspapers, uh, newspaper writers of this belief, and it got all over the place because of this sheriff, Harrison Beecher. He was believing some of the shit she said. She was feeding him all kinds of crap of shit she'd seen, stuff she'd right. done. Um, she'd convinced him that she was in London during the time of the Whitechapel murders, but she was really keen on reading crimes. She liked that. She was one of those people we've studied before, a criminal that liked to read about other criminals' acts and stuff. Right. And so she and probably also, wanted credit for that. And also, wouldn't this sheriff want credit for catching Jack the Ripper? I mean, come on, dude. <laughs> no doubt. That's a good point that Seriously. I didn't think about. I mean, I would say that too. I'd be like, yeah, here she is. That's Jack the Ripper right there. I caught her. I mean, (laughs) if you can commit insurance fraud just from burning down a house and being like, huh, it burned down. I don't know what happened. (laughs) Then, I mean, you could easily be the sheriff that caught Jack the Ripper in that time. Yep. And so in comes Nellie Bly into the story, now famous for spending 10 days in Blackwell's Island undercover as a madwoman. You can go back and listen to our whole episode on that. And for circumnavigating the world, among other badass feats, um, she had heard of Lizzie Halliday and her crimes through the newspapers, and to this point, no no reporters had gotten anything out of Lizzie who would stay silent during their attempts. But if anyone could get answers out of Lizzie, it was Nellie. 
So in 1893, Nelly gave it a shot. In the third week of October, uh, Bly journeyed to Monticello and landed. The first interview of Lizzie Halliday granted to a member of the press. Uh, the story ran seven columns, at the end of which Bly pressed hard to extract a confession. Uh, she reported this exchange. So we have a little exchange uh, here between Nellie and Lizzie. Um, Nellie, did you or did you not kill those people? Lizzie looked up. There was a real alarm in her face. Uh, she said, I have been crazy. I was drugged, um, she said defiantly. Uh, Nellie then says, tell me, uh, did you do it yourself? Um uh, Lizzie then replies, what shall I say, dear? Uh, she then turned to the sheriff to kind of ask the sheriff, like, what, you know, whether she should say or not. Uh, Nellie then uh, says, are you guilty or innocent? Tell me now. I may be able to help you. Anyway, I am going away and you will never see me again. Um, so it was dry. It, at that point, it was drawing close to the hour of midnight. Her interview was drawing to an end and she didn't think she'd be coming back. So she was trying to get what she could out of, out of Lizzie uh, while she could. Um, right. Lizzie then responded, some other time, my head feels bad now, some other time. Um, however, within two weeks, Lizzie Halliday sent word through the sheriff that she wanted to see Bly again and tell her everything. Bly's interview appeared in the world in November 5th uh, in a full-page story. To Bly, Lizzie revealed that she had married, been married six times and she was only 28 years old. She claimed to have been drugged by a gang of people she knew but could not identify and feel for her life and that they had forced her to witness the killings of her husband and the McQuillan women. Um, she gave detailed accounts of the murders without admitting to doing them herself, which reminded me of Ted Bundy. Remember when he was doing that whole act of like, theoretically, if I uh, were to have yeah. done, I would, and I he would go into it. detailed accounts of what he did yeah. but not taking accountability for right. it. Like the OJ book, if I did it. Yeah, same type of thing. <laughs> um she also gave details of the killing of a peddler some months before, 12 miles from her home, but said that uh, she hadn't committed that crime either. Um, so, yeah, she said that, uh, you know, the gypsies did that, but she was there to witness it. She was there to witness everything and knew exactly how it went down, everything. Um, different different parts, different states, everything else. And, you know, it's just a coincidence that she was just always there, you know. Right, of course. Reporters were able to confirm all six of Lizzie's marriages and several of the husbands had died under suspicious circumstances, all of which we've already gone through in the crime line. But this is where all this stuff comes to light. Most, uh, like Paul Holiday, were much older men with some sort of pension. The reporters also verified the peddler's slang, which at the time had been blamed on wandering gypsies. In one last-ditch effort to get Lizzie to admit her crimes, Nellie offered her $200 towards her defense if she confessed. Lizzie grabbed Nellie's arm and then at her dress as Nellie fled the cell with a deliberate intent that gave Nellie chills. Nellie talked about that moment where she's like, she changed. Like, I saw something in her face change as soon as she saw that money. So we know what she was motivated by through this whole thing. <laughs> and uh, Nellie Bly got a little little sample of that in that moment. Um, mm. And that would be the last time that Nellie Bly would ever visit Lizzie again. In Lizzie, June of night, uh, Lizzie was like... Uh, you got the two hundred dollars on you, laddie. <laughs> right? Can <laughs> I see you it? stay for tea? <laughs> <laughs> um, in June of eighteen ninety four, Lizzie's trial began in front of a packed courtroom. Only three jurors would decide her fate. Thomas McQuillan took the stand and solved the mystery of why his wife and daughter were in the area of the Halliday Farm at the time of their deaths. They were basically lured there by Lizzie, who had gone to their home and offered Margaret, the mother, two dollars a day for a month's work. Um, she had taken up the offer and gone to the farm with her. Uh, Lizzie then returned to the home uh, of the McQuillans and offered, or and, and told uh, the the father Thomas 
that Margaret had broken her leg and needed help returning. Thomas then sent his daughter, man, he must feel sick for this moment where he, he believes her and sends his daughter back with Lizzie as well. Neither of them would ever be seen again on the on the stand. Thomas broke down in tears. Didn't look well for Lizzie to the three jurors. Paul's son also took the stand. All of the pieces of the murders were falling into place in front of everyone in the courtroom. Lizzie never took the stand and her plea was not guilty by reason of insanity. Although Sheriff Beecher and the man that rented the horses, the horses to her uh, that she stole and sold off took the stand for her defense and said that they believe Lizzie had always been insane. Lizzie was deemed sane by physicians that evaluated her and they based their belief. This is funny to me. This is a tell of the times. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is still in the 1800s and, and just, just this is, kind of this the, is hilarious. It really oh is. my God. Yeah. When so the, this, so the doctors, like, yeah, the doctors that evaluated her did a full evaluation and they, they, they basically deemed her sane, which we believe, mm-hmm. you know, she was sane. but the, the reason for why they deemed her sane, the, the multiple reasons, mm-hmm. one of which was that she, uh, she had a lack of horizontal wrinkles on her forehead and also the fact that her head perspirated at a normal rate. So. Wow. I that, think that, I'm that's totally what made her insane. Sane. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so many forehead wrinkles. I must be the right. most insane person. <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't live during that time, dude. Oh my god. I, I have I have wrinkles on my forehead too, man. I'd be locked away forever. Oh my gosh. We're so insane, bro. <laughs> it's crazy. Um and so on June twenty seventh, Lizzie was found guilty of the murders and sentenced to the electric chair, which I was surprised it was even around back then. It had already been around for four years before her sentencing. Yeah, but on the way out of the courtroom. No women were in it yet, right? Or one other I don't, woman? I don't I think, think so. I don't think okay. so. They were still figuring that thing out. That was a very scary time to be in that chair. Oh, super <laughs> sketchy. They're like, do we wet the sponge? Do we not? I don't right. know what's going on here. <laughs> How many volts right. do we need? Yeah, I, I watched a whole thing about executions, uh, like a Discovery Channel special or whatever, and, and like there's they've just screwed up so many of them over the years. Oh. And and one of the one of the ways they screwed up the electric chair there for a minute was they they cheaped out and they got a synthetic sponge instead of a legit sponge, and it oh. doesn't conduct the same. Like and so the person was being like caught on fire, like yeah. just crazy shit. The first the first guy to ever, um, you know, try the electric chair that happened to him. They well they wetted everything, but then it like shocked him, and then he sat there for a minute, and then he came back to life. So they're like, oh shit! <laughs> so instead of rewetting the stuff, they just turn it back on. You see what I'm saying? They just turned it back on and basically charred the man with 2,000 volts for minutes. Minutes. Yeah. That's brutal. I've thought about it and and like the, the in the different traditional ways that you could be executed by, you know, by the court system and in justice system. You know, you got hanging, got lethal injection, you got uh, electrocution, you got the mm-hmm. gas. They still have the gas chamber in some states, I believe. Right. Uh, and then there's firing squad. I, for me, hanging all day. Like if it's hanging? done right, it seems. Yeah, dude, it seems. If they done it, if they do it right, it snaps your neck. Like it's a it's a whole ratio they have your body weight uh, to the height of the of the drop. You know, the drop is supposed to snap your neck. You're not supposed to strangle to death. So if it's done properly, it's quick and done. Period. Mm-hmm. So that to me seems much better than being shot or being electrocuted or being even the injection thing is just so creepy to me. I don't like that. Why? You think it's it, they say it's not. Painful, uh, I don't like I don't like needles. First of all, I don't like anything oh. being injected into me. Period. Yeah. So I, I don't. That it just it's just ugh, I don't like it. I hear you. Okay, interesting. I don't know if a lot of people and hanging would is just hanging, so traditional. Right? I almost feel like I'm tapping into like my my old ancestors, like the old Wild West vibe. Yeah, you 
And you get to stand up there in front of everybody and say whatever you want to say. You get that one last thing. It's not like you're yeah, standing blindfolded in front of a firing squad <laughs> where like nobody really cares. But when you're, right. yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. All right. Hanging. I don't know. Which would you choose? Oh man. Um. I don't. I don't think I would do hanging. I wouldn't want to. I don't know if I'd want that. I think I'd rather do like firing squad, something like that, where it's quick. Especially if I'm going to be yeah. blindfolded and I don't know. Something like that, or maybe injection. I don't really. Needles don't really bother me too much, so I'd rather go out just peaceful. You know what I'm saying? Right. Or just shoot me while I'm sleeping one night. You know, I mean, it's after midnight. It's my day to be executed. There we go. <laughs> that's that's the brutal part about the the death penalty is the is knowing the exact minute knowing. you're gonna die. You know yep. what I mean? Like they wouldn't give you that luxury of like, oh, we'll just come in and shoot you while you're sleeping. That nope. would be too easy. Exactly. They gotta have, they gotta you gotta take that walk to the execution execution exactly. chamber and all that. Yeah, I would say lethal injection. I'd probably choose then. Mm. Yeah. Pretty brutal in those states where they let you choose. I think they, they still do that, where they let you choose from a few options. That's a tough decision. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. On the way out of the courtroom, uh, Lizzie would attack the accompanying staff, uh, the accompanying sheriff, Harrison Beecher, who was actually wearing gloves in anticipation of her maybe trying to attack him. Mm-hmm. However, her bite was so hard, she bit through the gloves and into his hands that he wore. Or the, mm. into his hands, um, he would end up develop, developing a serious infection as a result of the bite, and the resulting wound became so badly infected that he almost lost his hand. He almost had to have his hand amputated from that bite. Jesus, I wonder if she had bit him if he wasn't wearing gloves. Maybe she was like, "Oh, you trying to? Oh, you trying to wear gloves? <laughs> you think I can't handle some gloves? Feel every piece right. of this, you know? Watch this know. motherfucker. Yeah, exactly. It's like she just seems like the type of person that would do something out of spite, just because right. somebody thinks that they've are one step ahead, you know? Oh yeah. And believe it or not, she would kill again. I mean, that, that's what, oh, one thing we see. You don't know, you cannot go. underestimate her for a second. Do not. Uh, originally sentenced to the execution in the electric chair, Lizzie would end up being re reevaluated by the courts, wondering if if they screwed up. You know, uh, Lizzie would end up being granted clemency by Governor Flowers, based off a declaration by a group of physicians that she was insane. Instead, she was incarcerated for life at the Matawan Prison for the Criminally Insane. So she ended up back at Matawan. She got out of the death penalty. They ended up deeming her insane after all, after a, a review. So um, Lucky. while there, she continued to exhibit dangerous tendencies and was generally given wide berth by other inmates and attendants. She was the crazy one in the crazy place. Oh, at yeah. least that's the act she was putting on. She was the one that people were afraid of. Her and, and one reason. other person who would end, she would end up teaming up with for a crime, which we'll see. Um, in 1897, she took offense at her treatment by one of the attendants together with a second inmate, Jane Shannon, who was considered the most dangerous inmate in the institution. So they probably have the top two most dangerous teaming up here. No doubt. They ended up isolating the attendant in a bathroom. Shannon knocked the attendant, Miss Kate Ward, to the ground and jumped on her. Halliday then stuffed a towel into her, into her mouth and the two of them began to pound the victim with their fists, Lizzie pulling out her hair and scratching her face mercilessly with her fingernails. Um, finally, when rescued from the assault, Miss Ward was unconscious. She did, however, manage to survive with no lingering injuries. Both attackers were secured in isolation. So that's the first attack. Right. She's uh, she's she's still a huge threat anywhere she is, Lizzie. Because I, I think we talked about it. Uh, we talked about it in the her, the Hemeyer episode, Old Marv. About mm-hmm. like someone who has twenty four seven all the time in the world, and they're angry to sit and plot. 
That's like right. you're just going about your daily. That, that's that's these in, these inmates in this in this ward. You know, they're just kind of all day. They have, you screw up one little thing, one little detail. You know and, what? And they're gonna be they're gonna get it. Yeah, that's right. You know what I'm so surprised at though? I'm surprised that with help from Jane Shannon, they didn't kill this woman. I'm surprised like it didn't escalate when you know <laughs> when when two when two matches get thrown into gasoline. How come yep. it didn't ignite and they didn't just destroy this woman? I feel like if I think if if they, they didn't Lizzie have a weapon, if they had a weapon, if they had a weapon, it definitely would have definitely finished her okay. off. But yeah, I don't know how quick. Maybe it was only like thirty seconds. You know, before the, someone was able to save her, who knows? Or maybe they were just trying to teach her a lesson. Maybe they didn't want to kill her because they needed her and they liked her, but she did something wrong. Maybe. So they were like, "We'll teach you a lesson." Yeah. No. Uh, Lizzie almost successfully escaped at one point after acquiring some street clothes and joining a group of visitors to the prison. She made it through every door but the last before finally being discovered by some guards. <laughs> Can you imagine <laughs> she'd gotten out like Ted Bundy style, was <laughs> oh, out on the streets again. Just snuck right out. Yeah. Uh, nice. Six years later, after relatively stable behavior, Lizzie struck again, only this time more viciously, murdering the only woman who had ever showed her any kindness, a prison nurse by the name of Miss Nellie Wicks, age 24. According to the details, Miss Wicks, due to her abil- ability to relate with the other inmates, had been recently promoted to the head of the women's unit. In her new position, she had developed a fondness for the difficult-to-manage li- Lizzie, uh, giving her certain privileges within the group, Lizzie in turn returned the kindness and appeared to develop a sort of maternal affection for Miss Wicks. So she's showing some humanity here. She actually is is being kind and can be trusted mm-hmm. for a little bit. Um, after a time, Miss Wicks informed the group, including Lizzie, that she would soon be leaving the institution to pursue her studies to become a medical nurse. Mm-hmm. Lizzie, this this uh, enraged her. She didn't want her her Miss Nellie to ever leave. Right. Uh, Lizzie begged her not to leave. Regardless, Miss Wicks remained resolute. Over her last few days, it was general knowledge that Lizzie began making verbal threats, saying that she would kill the young nurse rather than see her leave. As threats of this sort were common for Lizzie, they were ignored. However, on her final day in the institution at 8 a.m. in the morning, Miss Wicks entered a bathroom. Lizzie slipped in behind her and knocked her to the floor. Before the nurse could react, Lizzie had taken her keys and locked, her, locked the door from the inside. So she got her key ring off of her after knocking her down, locked them together in a room. She then returned to the defenseless young woman and using a pair of scissors that she'd stolen, uh, that she, oh no, she was allowed these scissors for sewing. Oh man, she had been given some privileges. You let Lizzie have scissors. (laughs) Why? Oh my God. Oh my God. Give Uh, her some of those fucking rounded ones. Like they give kindergartners with the plastic on. (laughs) Right. I'd even not want her to have those, honestly. Oh yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't give her anything. Like, girl, you better, you better. Fold this paper and rip it along the dam. <laughs> yeah. Vault. So oh using God. the scissors that she had somehow been allowed to use for sewing, she proceeded to stab Miss Wicks over 200 times in the face and head. Her screams alerted the attendants who eventually managed to come to her aid. However, it was too late. Um, she died less than an hour later. While being taken into a cell in solitary confinement, Lizzie reported, reportedly said rather calmly, quote, she won't leave me now. While incarcerated, the legend of Lizzie Halliday continued to grow. In an article that appeared in Alexandria Gazette, Halliday, who by at that time had already been called the Wolf of Sullivan County, was given the additional title of Gypsy Queen and said to have been the leader of, quote, a little band which roved over the land of Hudson and Mohawk Valley. So she was supposedly the leader of this gypsy band, as we kind of brought up. Mm -hmm. That became 
well known. People believed that. Um, but you know how stories, you know how stories can yeah. can really be exaggerated and get out of hand. And I think she just mm-hmm. fit that. You know, it's a much better story, the Gypsy Queen. You know. Yeah. Um, the article goes on to say inaccurately that she had she and the band had come to Birmingham in 1902, where Paul Holiday fell in love with the Gypsy Queen. Following their marriage, the band of Gypsies celebrated the event, elected another queen, and moved on. <laughs> so, okay. Definitely far fetched. Like they're just yeah cra- coming up with some crazy stories. Do gypsies even have queens? If anybody knows that, uh, like I wouldn't think that. so. Yeah, I I wouldn't think they'd want like that type of a hierarchy. You know, like, right? They're it's all kind of, free gypsies. You know. Yeah, they seem I don't, kind I don't of know. every person for themselves type of thing. I mean, help each other out, but at the same time, yeah. that nobody rules anybody else. At least it seems like that to me. Yeah, I don't know gypsy law. I don't know. Yeah, me either. Uh, to further add intrigue and mystery to the murder of Miss Holiday and the McQuillans, uh, the article attributes their deaths to ritual shootings described as shot five times in the heart, the five, the five bullets forming a circle. So that was what you were talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. On June 28, 1918, while still incarcerated at Matawan Asylum, Lizzie Halliday, once described as, quote, the worst woman on earth, quietly passed away. She was 54 years old. Yeah, that's too good for her, And that's where we man. end this case. That's too good for her to quietly pass away. Don't you think? Right. And man, 54, that's pretty damn young. But like, I guess not for that time period, you know? Yeah. Mm. That's a long life for the 1800s. Yeah, like we said, most people, yeah, most people passed in their in their 50s. And she took many people's lives before they were 30, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she, she was a horrible person. No doubt. How have we not well, heard of Lizzie Halliday? How is most people not? I mean, people talk about... Uh, Elizabeth Bathory and stuff like that. I mean, Jesus, she was after that. More you know, recent one, than Elizabeth Bathory. One thing that never ceases to amaze me in doing this podcast is just how there's just an endless stream of of uh, bad people and murderers to to really <laughs> sink your teeth into. They're they're out there. <laughs> yeah, it's like how could this one slip through her fingers? But like, we'll find more just like her that were like, how did we not hear about this one? You know? Yeah. Yep. We're coming up on free episode what ninety one. And yeah, yeah, that's unreal, man. There's yep. unfortunately there's a lot of people out there, and um, but fortunately we can at least bring up the awareness, spread the awareness, man. These people are are around; they're still around. Uh, let's put it this way: I have more of a problem whittling down what case to do than I do finding a case to do. Like it's more like fuck. There's so many good ones. Oh yeah, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> and plus people give us great suggestions, and it's just it's hard yeah. to go through all of them and. But we, we, we are looking at your suggestions, guys. We do appreciate them. Keep them coming. Keep them coming. Yeah, for sure. All right. All right. We got an Oh My Gaia read? Oh, of course, man. Oh My Gaia. Oh My Gaia is an innovative, all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. At Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural, paraben, and aluminum-free organic ingredients. There's a tons of scents to choose from, guys. There's vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk. It's one of my favorites. Coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle. And we have our very own scent called True Crime Pine. Has our old school logo on it. Very cool. It was made just for us from Oh My Gaia. And because you guys are True Crime Guys listeners, you can get 15% off your order by using the word creeper, C-R-E-E-P-E-R, for 15% off at ohmygaia.com. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com or at shop underscore ohmygaia on Instagram. Guys, if you're looking to change from 
I mean, a regular speed stick or old spice, aluminum filled deodorant, and you want to try something natural, give Oh My Gaia a try. Great customer service, a great product, and there's definitely a scent that's going to tickle your fancy. Am I right, Lauren? You're right. You get to support us, support the podcast, support a, a, a small business owner. Yes. During a time like this, and uh, and smell great. It's a fucking win, win, win. You can't yeah, lose. That reminds me, guys. If you have the opportunity to order from a small business, do that. Because a lot of small right. businesses don't have the big internet presence. They don't have the big warehouses and sorting facilities and all the advertisement. So if you can order, they'll be more than happy to ship to you, I'm sure. So just keep that in mind during this. You know, Support, support local, support small business. Yeah, and they're not tied into the elite, the one percenters that are basically finding ways around taxes and have offshore accounts and shit. Like they're exactly. <laughs> you know I mean, exactly. These are Americans just like us who are trying to work for themselves, create their own manner of income, so they can live their life the way they want to live it. I mean, that's, in my opinion, that's the real American dream. You know. Yeah. <clears throat> but all right. Anyways. All right. Well, I want to say thank you to some people who have taken the time to go and uh, rate and review the show on iTunes and other means. Um, and as we've said, if you don't want to write anything, you just put it a, if you want a shout out, you got to put something in, in the comments part of it. So just That's put right. a fire emoji or something, you know, um, and so we can give you a shout out. So these people I want to say thank you to Sarah from Indy, Damien Sampieri from Australia, down under, nice. uh, Brittany Renee, 86 and Laura Grimes in the U S. So thank you guys for taking the time to go and write a review. It helps the show as you guys know. Yes. Um, iTunes, I wanted to mention, I'm having a problem with it, or not iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts app. I've mm-hmm. been having problems with it, and I've had several people as well tell me they've been having problems with it where our new episodes aren't popping into the feed right away. It's taken like an extra week almost, and I've seen the same thing. So it's not us. We're doing the same thing we've always done. We've posted the show onto our RSS feed, which goes out to all the different apps. All the other apps are getting our show right away like it should. Like I've checked right. Stitcher. I've checked everything. It's just Apple's feed. I don't know if it's maybe if your phone isn't updated, if you haven't updated your Apple shit. Like yeah. I haven't. I don't do that very often, so that's probably why I may, Dude, I may be experiencing that too. Maybe just more people are on Apple Podcasts, and it's just slowing down the server. Because I'm on iTunes know. right now, and our new episode, which is the Tulsa Hex House, that should be the newest one as of yeah as of today which is what sunday what's today's date yeah sunday the 22nd sunday the 22nd so as of sunday the 22nd of march the tulsa hex house should be the top thing and it is on itunes but you're right on apple podcasts and then also on podcast addict which draws from the apple podcast server it's not on there and it says like there's some kind of error so i don't know what's going on with that i don't know if it's just the higher it's also categorizing them weird. It's it's also categorizing our episodes into seasons on iTunes, which we don't do. Because like it, the top one in my app, my my podcast, my uh, Apple Podcast feed says Master Bob still, but if you scroll down, it says Unknown Season, and then there's the Tulsa Hex House. So I don't know what it is in there now. Yeah, I don't know what the hell it's doing. It's like categorize. So you, just, I mean, honestly, I I would actually recommend even if you have an Apple, use a different app for podcast for listening to podcast. I know it's a big switch. But if you're having a problem getting our getting our episode, even if you just want to, you just want to hear our episode, download Stitcher real quick or whatever. Stitcher actually has, I actually used to kind of hate on them for sound quality, but I, if, I was listening to it this week and it sounds like they fixed that. Like their quality quality sounds great, and their yeah. feeds are, I like the format of the app, and their feeds are legit. Like as soon as we put our episode up, it's in there. So 
Right. Also, I don't know. there's so many apps now. There's so many apps. You don't have guys, to. You don't have to lean on Apple Podcast app. Use a different one. That's right. Use Spotify. Spotify is great. Yeah. Yep, know? we're on there too. That's right. And it's updated on there, as far as I can yep. tell. Um, yep. Oh, it is. Yeah, Spotify is really making a comeback. Yep. They re- I mean, not making or, a comeback, but they're really making a presence in podcast. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, a lot of people are listening on Spotify now. That's a, that's a great way great to listen. Spotify or Podbean app, either one. Because Podbean will yeah, have a lot of people still use the Podbean as app. Well. Yeah. That's right. So. All right. But it's and we, we still love Podbean, man. We, we've had uh, sponsor companies come to us and say, "Hey, uh, you know, we want you to switch to our switch your feed over to us, and we'll do all this advertising for you." Blah 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 blah. And we're like, dude, Podbean is a, a large reason for you know any success we've had is because they're they've had us on their main pages for as far as true crime, top true crime podcasts, all that stuff. Like you go to their main page on Podbean, we're right there on the front. We've been on there for years, and we've gotten like fifteen thousand followers on Podbean because of that. You know, just because they've when other apps don't do that shit we're not even in apple's 200 top 200 we're not in any of their featured shit and they never do anything like that so i don't know i always feel like the bigger ones like apple they it almost seems like they help certain like more well-known like npr puts out something and immediately they're on the front page or yes whatever it is if you're connected to a bigger network you immediately get the better treatment you get put on all this stuff but if you're just like putting out good shit they don't care they don't care that's right I mean, even so. with even when we've had huge spikes in reviews and putting out episodes, and I'm like, yeah. how are we not growing? How are we not moving up? It's just I don't understand the algorithm. They do and you look at some want. of the podcasts that are on the top 200, right? And you look, and they have like a third of the reviews we have. They've yeah. been around longer than us. Like it's just like I don't understand how this op- how this works. How did yeah, you get what's on? The, here, you what's know? the true algorithm? What's it based off of? Yeah, exactly. So, but either knows? way, guys, we're just going to keep putting out good shit and. Yeah, there's ways to listen. If you don't know, email us at truecrimeguys.com or truecrimeguys at gmail, or you can hit us up on social media at truecrimeguys. We could help you guys out. Find something on Instagram, Twitter, uh, all True Crime Guys, Facebook, True Crime Guys, Clo- True Crime Guys closed group on Facebook as well. There's plenty of other mm-hmm. creepers who are dealing with the same shit and can help you guys. Lots of podcast veterans out there. So there's there's plenty of resources, guys. You know, if Apple wants to be all fucking weird. There's plenty of other ways to listen. Yep. Uh, oh. And uh, check out our Patreon page. We haven't mentioned it all episode. Look at that. Wow. Uh, Patreon.com slash true crime guys. If you are pent up, you're in the house and you're quarantined, mm-hmm. two bucks. I know it's, it's you're trying to save money right now, but right. two bucks gets you access to a whole lot of entertainment, a lot of episodes and stuff. So I think it's, it's worth it, it during is. a time like this. Episodes that you won't be able to hear any other way, pretty much. Right. I mean, there's what, 50. 50 to 60 at least, somewhere around there. Just episodes you haven't heard. That's right. Yep. So, plenty of true content guys to listen to, guys. Yep. All right, guys. Well, that about does it. I think next week, actually, speaking of Patreon, isn't next week a Patreon uh, exclusive? It is. We've done three freebies in a row already. That's right. Wow. All right. Well, if you want to hear next week's episode, there's another reason to join Patreon right now. That's right. Going to be a good one. Yep. All right, guys. We'll, we'll see you next week if you're patrons. Later. All right. Keep, Keep creepy, guys. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. 
I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder, get murder, get murder. Talk, get you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder charming.